0: turn with me to colossians chapter 4 starting in verse 7. colossians chapter 4 verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me he is a dear brother a faithful minister and fellow servant in the lord i am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts he is coming with onesimus our faithful and dear brother who is one of you They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea in Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, if you've been here over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians. And today we come to the end of it. And Although I'd like to say we've saved the best till last, the truth is we probably haven't. Uh, The best of it's probably in chapter one. You know, as I read through uh, our passage and that list of names, some of you may be thinking, Lord, help him, or maybe I'll doze off for the next half an hour. But even though this is perhaps a slightly more taxing passage of scripture to speak from, I I do believe the Lord's got something for us from these words of Paul. But first we should pray. Lord, we ask as we come to the end of this letter, we ask that you would speak to us. We pray for a word from you for each and every one of us, that you would speak into our lives, speak into our hearts and minds and direct our paths. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak from your word for your glory, amen. Now there's both a warning and a welcome in these words of Paul's, but essentially there's something in here for all of us around it never being too late to lose it and it never being too late to receive God's grace. If you cast your mind back a few weeks, you may recall that Paul begins his letter uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, addressing the Colossian church having introduced himself. And he addresses them as the holy and faithful brothers uh, and sisters in Christ in Colossae. Verse 2 says this, to God's holy people in Colossae, The faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. The holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the trouble is, having looked at this letter over the past few weeks, we can reasonably infer that it's actually a rather strange um, title, comment, description to be given to them. Because as we know, they've moved away from holiness. They've moved away from faithfulness in Christ. As we've seen, the church in Colossae has entertained a a somewhat false understanding of the nature of Christ and the work of Christ. Essentially, what they've done is they've redesigned Jesus, turning him from being fully God and fully man into a sort of semi-God, semi-man, neither God nor man. They've substituted the cross as the only way to God and in its place they put together this kind of DIY self-help spirituality made up of special days and special diets and special duties and they're in very real danger of casting off the cross and losing the plot in essence and I don't think this is too harsh they're a church with a false Jesus a false gospel a false grace and a false discipleship so it's rather intriguing that right at the start of the letter Paul should address them as the faithful and holy who are in Christ in Colossae you've got these two spheres of influence going on you've got Christ on the one hand and Colossae on the other and the church here has been far more influenced by the spiritual cultic old age new age whatever you want to call it spirituality of Colossae much more so than they have been by being in Christ and yet Paul addresses them as faithful. You know, what's that about? Well, you know, I don't think it's flattery. Paul would never do that. And I don't think it's insincerity. Paul was pretty direct. Perhaps it's more a case of Paul describing them as who they truly are in Christ Jesus and calling them to step into that identity. Rather than seeing them merely for what they are, Paul sees their potential. He sees the possible. He sees who they've been called to be in Christ and with the eye of faith he's calling it out of them to the faithful and holy and this morning this Sunday morning I believe Jesus wants to speak to those those same words over us by his spirit to the faithful and holy here at Southwest London Vineyard you know the trouble is when we hear those words we tend to think "Ah, oh, yes not me um, probably or maybe the person sitting next to me you know i haven't been that faithful and i'm definitely not being that holy but to the faithful and holy in christ jesus in southwest london at that southwest london paul's encouragement to us all is be more in christ than you are in london Paul is calling us and he's calling the church in Colossae to faithfulness. So let's take a look at chapter four and this word faithfulness comes up repeatedly in these verses. And I I just want to run quickly through the list and highlight some of them to you uh, very briefly, and then we'll pick out two and focus on those. First of all, we'll have a look at verse seven. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord Tychicus is known as a faithful one a faithful servant a faithful minister a faithful friend he's faithful to Christ he's faithful to his gospel he's faithful to his own calling he has faithfulness written over his whole life have a look at verse 9 he is coming with Onesimus our faithful and dear brother who is one of you they will tell you everything that's happening here. Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. And uh, Onesimus, as we read in Philemon, he was a, he was a runaway slave. He, he, he bumped into Paul and got saved and then got sent back. And later Onesimus becomes a bishop in the church, right from the start, right back at the start of the church, we have a slave who became a bishop. That's the power of the gospel. And he is faithful. Have a look at verse 10. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings. Now here's this chap. He's a fellow prisoner with Paul in chains. Why? Because of the gospel and because of his faithfulness to the gospel. And then there's Mark. And we'll come to Mark. We'll come back to Mark in a minute. But for now, have a look at verses 10 and 11. As does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Uh, Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Have a look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 7, Epaphras is described as a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Another example of faithfulness. And then in verse 14, we have our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas uh, send greetings. And, and Demas is another name that we'll come back to, uh, but as you'll see, for slightly different reasons. And then in verse 16, it says this, after this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. now in, in Revelation chapter three, Christ speaks to the seven churches and one of those churches is the church at Laodicea, which is essentially 10 miles up the road from Colossae and there in uh, Revelation 3 Christ uniquely presents himself as the faithful one Revelation 3 verse 14 these are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness but the the trouble is the church there hasn't been faithful the church in Laodicea hasn't been faithful and the sharpest rebuke to any of the church out of the seven is to the Laodiceans this is Revelation chapter 3 starting in verse 16 So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see more about faithfulness and unfaithfulness meanwhile back in colossians uh, chapter 4 verse 17 it says tell Arch- archippus see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the lord you see here paul's challenging him to be faithful to the call that is on his life and then the letter ends in verse 18 i paul write this greeting in my own hand remember my chains Grace be with you, and and again in the in the rattle and the chink of those chains, we hear the sound of faithfulness. Uh, chapter four. This is a, this is a list. It's about faithfulness to Christ. um New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. He's written this massive tome summing up Paul's theology, and and it's essentially all around the faithfulness of God. But you know, if we want to understand Paul's challenges in all of his letters is is the faithfulness of the church to god god has been faithful to us and we are to be faithful to him now i just want to get back to those two names i highlighted uh, demas the the more challenging of the two and and mark the more encouraging of the two uh, firstly uh, demas and what i want to say about demas is that he started well you know, remember what I said at the beginning about these verses being about a warning and a welcome. Well, Demas began well, but he ended badly. Demas was one of Paul's main co-workers and he's he's described in Philemon as an apostle with Paul. He was a mission worker with Luke and even here in Colossians, he's with Paul, he's accompanying Paul, he's encouraging Paul. However, if we look at Paul's last letter, written some i don't know three years after this where paul is uh, in his final imprisonment before he's beheaded it says in uh, 2 timothy 4 uh, verse 10 it says this for demas because he loved this world has deserted me and has gone to thessalonica demas has deserted me demas has deserted me because he loved this world or, or what could be translated as because he loved the spirit of this age why? Why did he do this? Well, maybe it was, I don't know, seeing as a result of seeing Paul in chains. Uh, maybe it was just the accumulation of the trouble that he went through because of the gospel ministry. Maybe it was uh, just simply weariness, just the ache in his soul um, of ministry. You know, he'd been doing kingdom stuff for decades. You know, what was it? We, we don't know. It could have been anything. But Demas goes down in scripture and and in church history as a as a byword for compromise, and selling out, and unfaithfulness. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, there's a character called Demas, and he's not really a very nice guy. In fact, he tries to deceive Christian, you know, who's on his pilgrimage or on his journey. He tries to deceive him and his companions, and tries to lure them to the hill called luca you know filthy luca trying to urge him to give up his faith and abandon the journey and distract him and come with him to what he claims is a silver mine where with a little pains you may richly provide for yourselves. so demas is on our list he's been running a good race he's been doing incredibly well he's been faithful in his ministry and he's been a faithful friend of luke and Paul, but when the rubber hits the road, Demas gives it all up and runs away to the world and he's never heard again of again in church history. You know, how many of us have had old friends who in the early days, you know, maybe when we first became Christians, you know, were filled with zeal for God, gave sacrificially to the poor, gave up on their holidays to go on missions and preach the gospel with passion, and drove for miles just to go to some conference stayed all, up all night for prayer meetings you know how many of us we look around this morning wonder where where are so-and-so and so-and-so what what happened to so-and-so and so-and-so they they were here they were part of the community of faith they were passionately pursuing jesus and where are they now what what happened you know, something, whether it was the world or the flesh or the devil, I don't know, something just took them out. You know, they began well, they began so well, they were, they were running the race, but it's like something cut in on them. And, and like Demas, they just abandoned Christ, abandoned the church and the gospel and the kingdom, all for the things of this world. Demas has deserted me because he loved this age. Secondly, and much more hopefully, let's consider Mark. You know, Now, Mark is interesting because he began pretty badly, but he ended well. Uh, John Mark was uh, Barnabas's cousin, and when Barnabas and Paul were sent out on the Antioch mission, which you can read about in Acts chapter 13, uh, they went out, but there we read that Mark deserted them. He desert, He deserted them. He turned his back and turned back and went to Jerusalem. Now, again, we we don't know why Mark deserted the apostolic mission years before. You know, maybe maybe it was fear of going to the Gentiles. You know, he was Jewish after all, and so maybe he had some objection to taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, maybe it was because of comfort. Uh, maybe he just was homesick. Maybe he just wanted to go home. Uh, maybe he had issues with Paul's leadership. That was quite possible. You know, we can speculate, but we we don't know. What we do know is that one of the words that was written over his life was deserter. You know, Demas, at the end of his ministry, had deserted them. And Mark, early on in his ministry, somewhere I don't know, around the AD 40s, had deserted Paul and the apostles. But, but here we are some... 15 or so years later and here in colossians chapter 4 verse 11 paul is saying mark is a comfort to me mark is with me mark is a comfort to me and then going back to paul's last letter where paul says demas has deserted me paul says bring mark to me because he's helpful to me you see mark is back mark is being a comfort mark is proving faithful to christ and the gospel and the mission and the church and then uh, after paul dies mark teams up with the apostle peter for a few years and then famously he goes on to write mark's gospel you know mark starts out by by running away but here at the end he's, he's not running away you know, tradition tells us that Mark actually planted the church in Alexandria, in Egypt, the Coptic church. It became one of the main four centers in the ancient Christian world. And then in uh, AD 68, around kind of three or four years, I guess, after Paul's death, while he was celebrating the Lord's Supper on Easter Day, a whole bunch of mob came in and grabbed him and tied rope around his neck and dragged him through the streets for the whole day. But he survived. And so they threw him into jail that night and the next morning they tied him up again and dragged him around the streets until he died. You know, Mark was faithful to the end. Faithful. He was faithful. In the late 6th century, uh, Pope Gregory I was, was so moved by the faces of the young Anglo-Saxon slaves that he saw in Rome. He, he asked, he inquired as to who they were and he was told that they were the Angles. And he famously said, no, 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 they're not. They're not Angles. They're not the Angles. These are the faces of angels, and we must preach the gospel to them. Do they have a church where they come from? Now, the church in England had largely fallen into decline since the Romans withdrew. And and so the Pope called one of his best men, a a chap called Augustine. And Augustine was an abbot in Italy, and the Pope called him and said, I want you to take a bunch of... um, uh, don't know how to do this like turbocharged monks like super monks or something and i want you to go and preach the gospel and reestablish the church and plant churches again in england where you know the church had uh, withered and shriveled you know these angles may not have been faithful to the gospel so let's take the gospel back to them and so this uh, merry throng headed up from Rome and they went through Italy, through France and they, they eventually get to northern France and they're, uh, I don't know, sitting in a cafe one morning uh, in Paris uh, with a, with a cafe au lait there, and chatting to the Gauls and they're saying, oh, you know, we're going over there, we're going across the channel and we're going to preach the gospel to the Angles. And the French famously said, oh no, you don't want to do that you don't want to do that you know those english those angles they're wild and barbaric and ignorant you you can't teach them anything wild barbaric and ignorant so so the monk said you know that's it we're not going it sounds too hot and augustine said okay yes you're right this sounds wise and so he went all the way back to see the pope this is now we're now in around uh, five nine six and he goes back to the pope and he says listen Dear Pope, uh, we've heard from the Gauls in northern France that those English are wild and barbaric and ignorant and that you can't teach them anything. So can we, with your blessing, do something else instead? Something different, something less challenging. And the Pope famously replied, Go in God's name. The greater your hardship, the brighter your crown. The greater your hardship, the brighter your crown. Your crown. And so they went back up and stayed in Paris through the winter. And then in the spring of 597, these 40 monks came to England and met the king. And they asked to preach the gospel. And on Easter Day 597, 10,000 converts were baptized in the River Thames. Now, many people are familiar with the end of the story, but uh, not all of us are always familiar with the beginning. You see, this mission did not start well. But what matters is that it ended well. Demas started well. Demas continued well, but he ended badly. Mark, it seems, was always running away. But at the end, he ended well as a martyr and as a saint. Augustine of Canterbury, he started badly, but he ended well. Now, we don't know what happened to the Colossian church, you know, but I think that we can reasonably infer that in the seven letters to the seven churches, when Christ appears 20 years after this event, he rebukes Laodicea. You know, at the end of Colossians, Paul says, take this letter to Laodicea. Um, Laodicea read the letter to the Colossians but they didn't act on it, and they became unfaithful. But you see, the Church of Colossae is not on the list. And that's because I believe they read this letter, and they heeded the word, and they returned to being faithful. You see, we can begin badly, but end well. Or we can begin well, continue badly, and end well. Or we can continue well, and end badly. And this morning I wonder if the Spirit of God is inviting us to take a moment to reflect on where might we be on that spectrum. Because there's always grace wherever we are. Will we heed the word of the Lord? Will we heed the words of this letter? And will we finish well?